When you ask, can our brains, in fact, change our narratives and do things differently, they can. And in some ways, perhaps what we're doing is finding ways to deal with things that, that in some ways have no answers. Hello, and welcome to a mini episode of The Right Question, a radio program and podcast featuring authors from the American West and beyond. The Right Question is supported in part by Humanities Montana and members of Montana Public Radio, and by the Greater Montana Foundation, encouraging communication on issues, trends, and values of importance to Montanans. I'm Lauren Korn, speaking today with the host and executive editor of Hidden Brain, Shankar Vedantam, about Healing 2.0, a month-long series from Hidden Brain that considers how we can change our lives by taking a closer look at the stories we tell ourselves about our lives, the nature of loss, and whether we should try to do away with grief altogether. Shankar Vedantham founded Hidden Brain Media in 2019 and is the host and executive editor of the Hidden Brain podcast and radio show. In 2010, he published The Hidden Brain, How Our Unconscious Minds Elect Presidents, Control Markets, Wage Wars, and Save Our Lives, And in 2021, he published with Bill Messler, Useful Delusions, The Power and Paradox of the Self-Deceiving Brain. Shankar, welcome to The Right Question. So happy to be here. Thank you for having me, Lauren. We're here to chat about Hidden Brain's month-long series, Healing 2.0. That 2.0 should tell listeners that you and the Hidden Brain team have investigated healing before. What made you want to dive into healing and grief in a more expansive way through this series of episodes? Yeah, so we we run a number of series throughout the year with with the moniker 2.0, really as a way of telling people that we are trying to collect together the latest ideas or the most insightful ideas and put them together in a package, really helping people to become the 2.0 version of themselves, if you will. And in this case, with Healing 2.0, you know, when we look out at the world, we see so much pain and suffering out there. I'm sure this is the case for you as well, Lauren. You know, when we listen to the news nowadays, we often, you know, turn off the radio with our heart feeling heavy at all the the the, the goings on in, in the world. And and also this time of year can be difficult for people. You know, it's, it's obviously a time of celebration and gathering for many people, but the holidays can also be a difficult time for people when they think about someone who's not at the dinner table with them anymore, for example. And for all those reasons, we thought we'd pull together the best and interest, most interesting psychological insights, put them together in a package with, with the goal of helping people thrive and think about setbacks, loss, and tragedy uh, differently than they had done before. Was there something you hadn't yet learned about healing or grief from previous episodes that you were looking to investigate further? Was there, was there anything specific? I'm not sure there was a specific question we had that we went in search of answers to. We were looking for interesting ideas. Uh, you know, one of the ideas that I really have been struck by is the topic of our very first episode in the series. Uh, it's, it's titled, Change Your Story, Change Your Life. Uh, and the idea of this is really that as we go through our lives, we often you know, feel like the observer of our life. We're experiencing our life. It's almost like we're sitting in a theater and watching a play, and the play is the story of our life. And while that's true, it's also the case that in important ways, we have authorial vision or control over the events that take place in our lives, or at least the way we tell the story of those events. So let me make this a little more concrete. If you imagine your life being a book, and that book is divided into different chapters, it turns out where you start and stop the chapters of your story 
play a profound role in your well-being and mental health. So if you start out these chapters on a high note of something wonderful happening to you, but over time that wonderful thing dissipates or goes away or is taken away from you, and you end each chapter with a story of how you started out positive and you ended negative, psychologists call this a contamination sequence because you started out with something wonderful, but it got contaminated along the way. But because our lives have ups and downs, we can also change where we're starting and where we're stopping each chapter. And if we choose instead to start each chapter on a negative note and end each chapter on a positive note, uh, this is what psychologists call a redemption sequence. And it turns out this very simple idea of just reframing your life so that you're thinking about the chapters of your life as redemption sequences instead of contamination sequences turns out to have profound effects on our well-being and mental health. And researcher Jonathan Adler says in this episode that the way that we draw connections between these chapters can have big implications for our well-being. Will you talk a little bit or briefly about those connections, how we're supposed to be meaning-making kind of uh, in media res? Because a lot of this is happening subconsciously, right? That's right. I mean, when you think about it, we are meaning-making creatures. I mean, that's part of what makes us human. Uh, you know, our capacity for sense-making, as psychologists would say, is something that is woven into our brains. Uh, some psychologists, in fact, think our capacity for sense-making is a fundamental, you know, urge that we have, no, no different than hunger or thirst, that when we see things happening, we want to make sense of them. But as you correctly point out, a lot of the sense-making or meaning-making happens under the hood. It happens, you know, without our even being aware of it. We're drawing conclusions and stories and coming up with those narratives unconsciously instead of doing so mindfully and deliberately. And I think when Jonathan Adler talks about drawing the right connections or making these connections, I think this is what he's talking about, which is that the way we're connecting the stories, where we're starting and where we're stopping the stories, how we're telling the connections between these stories plays a very profound role in the sense-making that we can make of our lives. We might not be able to change the facts of our lives. Good things are going to happen to us. Bad things are going to happen to us. That's inevitable. But how we frame these things, how we understand them, can in fact make a profound difference. Part of this new series will also consider, and I'm going to steal some of the copy from your promotional materials, the quote, mind-bending idea about whether we should try to do away with grief. What does that mean? I mean is, is grief something we have that kind of control over? <laughs> yeah, this might be one of the most unusual episodes in in the package, um, and it really speaks to a question that I think humans have struggled with for really you know centuries, uh, which is that we all, you know, once we lose someone in our lives, there's a part of us that says, "I don't want to say goodbye. I want to stay in conversation with this person. I want to commune with this person. I want to be connected to that person." And of course, human beings all over the world have come up with rituals and and ceremonies and anniversaries and memorials, you know, to commemorate our connection with those who have gone and those who are no longer part of our lives. And this episode is asking the question, is it possible that technology can play a role in enabling more of that connection? And there's nothing supernatural here. It's not that technology is actually going to connect us to people who have died. That's not going to be possible. But one of the ideas that this episode is exploring is that when you think about uh, a form of artificial intelligence that are known as large language models. Uh, many of your listeners may have had a chance to play with a large language model like ChatGPT, where you can ask it questions and it will give you back answers. This episode is exploring the idea that we can also build large language models around individual people. So in other words, if you 
heard everything that I have said over the course of the last three months or everything that I've written or everything that I've produced as a, as a podcast host and you put all of that together, you can create a model of how I might respond to the next question that you're asking me. And this story is asking the, is, is raising the possibility, can we actually create in some ways models of people that we can continue to commune with, to communicate with after they are gone? And it's built around the story of a, of a man who had a very, very close relationship with his mother, and he knew that his mother was dying and was, was suffering from a life-threatening illness. And it, because he was unwilling, or he found the thought of losing her unbearable, he decided to construct a large language model based around his mother's personality and and her belief system, and then eventually came to interact with that large language model after she passed away. Now, the story, I think, raises really profound ethical and philosophical and even spiritual questions. It, of course, raises really interesting technological questions as well. It's, I, I don't think we're presenting it so much as saying that this is something that we all should be doing as much as it's raising really profound questions about our zeal and our a desire in some ways to connect with those who have gone before and asking if this is the latest installment of, of uh, a very old uh, human uh, desire. I feel like there are so many follow-up questions I could pose to you, Shankar, about that, but I will tune in to Hidden Brain to hear how that episode goes. But because I am the host of a literary program and podcast, this one, The Right Question, uh -huh. I'd be remiss if I didn't bring books into this conversation. So your most recent book, yeah. Useful Delusions, published in 2021, is all about the ways that our brains deceive us or how we lie to ourselves. What would your book or what would you as its author have to say about the relationship between self-deception and grief? Wow, that's a great question. Yeah, so the, the book really tries to make the case that our brains really are capable of, you know, it's really along the same lines we were talking about a, a second ago, which is our brains are you know, sense-making machines. They're constantly trying to make sense of the world, drawing interpretations of the world, drawing stories about the world, etc. And, and, the, and the thesis of the book was that sometimes even when those those stories are wrong, uh, you know, or falsifiable, if you will, there is still value in them. There is a value in having some of these stories, even if they are not accurate or real, because they can help us actually live better lives. Um, and I think there's actually a very strong connection to some of the ideas we're exploring here in the Healing 2.0 series, because the idea here is that bad things are going to happen to us. That's inevitable. You know, just being human means that you're gonna suffer setback and loss and tragedy. What we do with those losses and tragedies, how we make sense of them, how we think about them, is actually up to us. And to the extent that we think about them differently, we tell those stories differently, we experience those losses differently. Um, you know, I was reading a book uh, just the other day that, that talked about uh, an idea from Buddhist philosophy, uh, and it tells the story of the two arrows. Uh, it's a story from, uh, from ancient Buddhist uh, text, and apparently the, the Buddha is supposed to have said that as we go through life and we walk through the forest, you know, we're going to be struck by arrows. Bad things are going to happen to us. But many of us compound that injury by plunging a second arrow into the site of the first injury. And that second arrow is the way we think about what's happened to us, our regret, our recrimination, our blame, our lack of self-compassion. All of these in some ways compound the injury by, by exacerbating it because we are actually tormenting ourselves of asking ourselves, why couldn't I have foreseen that? Why didn't I do something differently? So when you ask, can our brains in fact change our narratives and do things differently, they can. And in some ways, 
perhaps what we're doing is finding ways to deal with things that, that in some ways have no answers. You know, we really don't have good answers when someone dies or when we lose someone we love. These are insoluble problems. And I think what psychology is trying to say is that sometimes the stories we come up with, even if they might not be entirely true, could, could offer us solace and comfort in difficult times. Shankar, thank you so much for joining me today. And as we head into this holiday season, I wish you and yours all the best. Thank you so much, Laura, and I wish you the same. That was Shankar Vedantham, host and executive editor of Hidden Brain, a podcast launched in 2015 with NPR and now produced by Hidden Brain Media. You can find episodes of Hidden Brain, including episodes in their Healing 2.0 series, at hiddenbrain.org. Look for more information about Shankar at mtpr.org, where you can also subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You've been listening to a mini episode of The Right Question. This episode was produced by me. I'm your host, Lauren Korn. Aiden McMahon engineered this episode, and Noah Epps helped with initial edits. The artwork for The Right Question was designed by Molly Russell, and our music was written and recorded by John Floridis. Funding for The Right Question is provided by the Greater Montana Foundation, encouraging communication on issues, trends, and values of importance to Montanans. Many thanks to Humanities Montana for supporting this program since 2008. And thank you for listening. The Right Question and these TWQ mini-episodes are productions of Montana Public Radio.